Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. The last verse we read in Acts, before we get to these verses, and I'll read the verses throughout as I teach. This is the last thing you heard last week. And it was, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. So what just happened? The power of grace empowered the church to hold to a bold, uncompromising, clear gospel. So now we go to what, what, what happens when we don't compromise on the gospel and we stay bold in the gospel? Do, what happens? Do we become a bunch of mean, pugnacious people because we hold to a narrow gospel? Is that what happens? You know, do we become a little island uh, irrelevant to those around us because we hold to a narrow gospel. Or, you know, some people tell me, like, uh, I heard this pastor of a very large church in Miami, probably one of the largest, and he says, all you guys that preach like you, meaning like me and other people, like, all your churches are dead because y'all preach that stuff. So basically dead, it means there's not thousands of people here. So what, is, is that what it leads to? Dead churches to be boldly unapologetic gospel-centered. This is going to answer our question. What happens when we stay in that narrow path of gospel clarity? The other thing we're going to see in this, in this, in this text is helpful. Is what is a church? I think that's one of the most confusing conversations in our city. What is a church? You ask probably 10 Christians, I guarantee you will get like probably 30 different answers about what a church is. So here's what I'm going to ask you. What happens when we stay bold in the gospel? What does it produce? Secondly, what is a church? What is a true biblical church in all of its imperfections? You ready? Here's the first thing I want to say about what the gospel produces in its boldness and what a true church is. Is that unity, a church is about unity and not a bunch of individuals. Unity, not individuals. Look what it says. Now, the large group of those who believe were of one heart and mind, one soul and one-minded, and no one said that any of his possessions were his own. Instead, they held everything in common. So basically, in the church, because of the power of the gospel, a church is what? There is no I, it's us. It's we. There's this commonality. Now, we're really good at drawing lines, right? You're black, I'm white. And if we're Hispanic, yeah, I'm Cuban, but you're Nika. Right? I'm Democrat, and you're Republican. My kids go to public school. My kids are homeschooled, all right? We're different. Drawing the lines, right? You're single. I'm married. Oh, I'm married, but I don't get a bunch of little kids like you. And we have all these lines. I'm educated. You're not educated. You live on that side of the street. I live on this side of the street. And even like it's like you, you African-American, and I'm Haitian. And so there's all these lines that are drawn or you know like i'm old and you young or i'm hipster and you hip-hop miami is a place where we love drawing lines because we're so insecure in our little circles of i that we gotta exclude others to feel like we're important that's what a whole that's what sororities and fraternities are we feel really insecure so let's make some little circle really important and exclude all right but here's a problem with that you know the problem with that is all of us, all of us have done nothing to earn our salvation. 
all of us actually merit eternal judgment, separation from God, and hell. And guess what? You know how we got right with God? Because Jesus gave us credit for his righteousness apart from any single good thing we've ever done. We get forgiveness. We get adoption. We are saved entirely. We have nothing to bring to the table, and yet everything that's good about us came outside of us from Christ. So you know what that does? It breaks down all the walls. All the walls that we use to separate each other are broken down because Jesus broke down the wall of separation by the power of his grace. So now all the little walls that we build up around each other are crushed by the power of the gospel. So we stop saying I and you over there and we say us. Beloved, that's what a church is. A church is not a bunch of... It's, it's not a clique of one kind of person in Miami or a bunch of isolated cliques that kind of happen to go together on church someday, but it's a bunch of people who are so united in the power and the grace of God that they say we're all the same. And beloved, notice there's only one flag that you can wave that can actually create biblical unity. It's not the flag of we're a contemporary church or a conservative church. That doesn't build unity. You know, it builds a bunch of self-righteous people who are proud about their contemporariness or conservativeness. The flag of Democrat and Republican does not build biblical unity. I'm sorry. The flag of, you know, we speak in tongues or we don't does not build unity. Okay? What builds unity? The power of bold, gospel-centered proclamation as a culture and banner and flag. That's the only thing that makes us tear down the walls and say we're together. Everything else just feeds into our small clickiness. So what is a church? We are people who have been united by the gospel, not divided by ourselves. Second thing, we are a family, not just familiar. Now, the group of those who believe were of one heart, and they had one soul, and they said none of their possessions. Oh, no. Timer now. So if I'm five minutes over, you know why. <laughs> so what's being described here is people that are sharing each other's things in one mind. It's being, what's being described here is it's a, church is a family. Now, here's what happens a lot of times. You know, families, if I, if I could summarize what a family is, family is a group of people who just know each other's junk and they're with each other regardless. That's a family. Uh, familiarity is like you don't know each other, but you just are kind of cordial. And, and so you know, you know why we like to be familiar and not family in church? Because it's safe. You don't want to be known because if someone knew you, they wouldn't respect you, love you, or cherish you, right? So we are safe in all these familiar, shallow relationships where we say a bunch of cheesy Christian cliches all the time and we're not knowing each other. Like we never say, hey, brother, how you doing? You know what? My life sucks right now because me and my wife can't stand each other. You don't say that. All right, Kevin does, you know. But we got to, I can't, you can't know me. But, but what we see here is that the church has been so radically wrecked by the one way, not because of us, family, father, love of the gospel. God knows everything ugly about me and he has buried it in the ocean of his cross, grace. All my sin and shame has been put away in Christ. And all of Christ's perfections have covered me like a garment. I am known and loved. You know what that does to us? 
You can know me. You can know me, and I can know you. And we don't have to have this fake, shallow, acquaintance, professional relationship church that nauseates the world anyways. Listen, legalistic gospel makes a bunch of people who are scared to death of each other. Because everybody's righteousness is in how good they are and how promoted they can be themselves. But when the church gets wrecked with grace, we begin to know each other, become real with each other, and love each other like a family. So number one, we're, in, we're united, not individuals. Number two, we are family, not familiar. Number three, what is the church? There's a preeminence in preaching, not practice, though we do practice. There's a preeminence in preaching, not practice, though we do practice. Luke says, and the apostles were given testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So it's, what's being said here is that the great power in the church, the great majestic power in the church is the teaching and proclamation about Jesus. That's the power. And so I, I think in our day, there's this either explicit or like implicit, like it's obvious or subtle, like diminishing of preaching and proclamation in the church. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, you're that church that's all about gospel preaching. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? That's not the power. You know where the power in the church is? You know the big worship conference experience with a bunch of paid professional musicians? That's the power, right? Right? No, no, no. Not the, pre- the, the, the concert is, is the power. The paid professional artist is the power, right? That's what we think and act oftentimes. Or the power is in hundreds and thousands of dollars of building projects and remodels. That's the power. If we make this building awesome, power, right? Yeah. Or the power in the church is in, you know, like super-powered, high-powered youth ministry. Look, youth ministry is good, but, that's, but we think that's the power, right? Power is, you know... Social activity. Now, like, you know, like the thing is, like, people think that if we become really, really, really socially active, it's going to be the magnificent power that changes the whole landscape. But, beloved, what is, what is being said here? Where is the great power in the church? It was in the apostles' announcements of Jesus. And now, let me explain why preaching in the church is so important. Who's the most important person in the church? How do we get to, how do we get to know Jesus? Through teaching and preaching, right? God has decided to make his son known through announcements of him. So the second that preaching becomes secondary, who becomes secondary? So the reason why we emphasize proclamation and teaching and not us doing is not because doing doesn't matter, it's not important, but because we have to hear Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How often do you think people think that I'm at this church because the preaching ministry is strong. Most times, I think, we would say, you know, you know, my, my kids like it, and, you know, like, there's a lot of people that look like me there. There's no, you know, this, and like, oh, the music, it made me feel like this, you know. Um, but, but what we're learning, beloved, is that a church is what? The power, the glory is Jesus being heralded. That's what a church is. It's preeminence in preaching, though other things matter. 
Now, here's a, a fourth thing I want to say about what a church is. is that, and this is me building on the last point. A church is Jesus-centered, not us-centered. Jesus-centered, not us-centered. Look, 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 what were they teaching about? The apostles were giving testimony with great power to the what? The resurrection of who? The Lord Jesus. <laughs> so, basically, what they're saying is that Jesus is the subject and center and point of the church. We're not the center of the church. We're not the point, and we're not the hero, okay? Jesus person is the hero of the church. We are not a bunch of little heroes. Let me, tell you, let me give you a picture that may be helpful. Uh, you know, Jesus does not empower us to be a bunch of little Jesus heroes on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. That's what, you know, every, what, what, is, what are those three things about? You become some little fake celebrity, right? I'm into that, I, I, I'm, I'm bought, I bought into it too, right? And so we think that everything in the church has to be about us. It focuses on us. We're the hero. God's just there to make you the hero of your story. But what we see here is that these guys were just always saying that Jesus is the point. He's the hero. It's more like a communist country. When you go to a communist country, there's pictures of the leaders everywhere. Okay, now that's the bad thing when it comes to, you know, a human leader. But that's us. There is only one hero, one center, one point, one subject, and that is Christ himself, not us. That's a church. But think about something really interesting. It says they were proclaiming Jesus and the, his resurrection. So not just the emphasis of his person, but what he did in history. Let me give you an illustration that may be helpful. Um, you know what happens in psychology? Any of y'all been psychologized? Oh, you're not going to say yes in front of everybody, right? I have. I've been a psychologist and a psychiatrist and a something in between, okay? And this is what happens. They try to help you by going into the past because they realize that a lot of what affects our present is the past. You know what I'm talking about? This is exactly what's going on here. The church was regularly focusing on what happened in Jesus' past because that was the most important thing for the Christians present. Now, let me, let me unpack that a little bit. You know what I think we think is the most important thing about our lives? It's us raising ourselves in the present. Let me raise myself to a better status of law-keeping in the present. Let me raise myself to a greater act of commitment in the present. Let me raise myself to a new altar call, revivalistic experience in my heart in the present. Let me raise myself with a new set of principles and rules in the present. But what we see here is that the church was regularly going back to the resurrection of Christ as being the key to unlock the present. Not us in the present, but Jesus in the past is the key to the present. Make sense? So the apostles were regularly saying, listen, you need to understand their life in light of the fact that Jesus, the power of the resurrection in the past, is invading your present. Not you in the present, but Jesus in the past wrecking your present. So we, they were always going back to Jesus' resurrection. It's in Jesus' resurrection that I overcome sin, death, hell, and the devil in the present. Not in my present. You, saw, you see, you follow me? 
It's in Jesus' resurrection that I'm in the new creation. I'm a part of the kingdom. I'm adopted, redeemed, and new, not in my present, but in Jesus' past. He wrecks my present with his past regularly coming into my present. So why do we preach resurrection here every Sunday? Because this is what our church does. Not like, oh, let's preach the resurrection because you know what? There's probably some unbelievers over there who don't know the gospel. And then they got to get saved. So after we, you know, teach about being a good person and a good Christian, let's do a resurrection message, right? Sound familiar? But what, but what we see here is that a church, beloved, is a place where Jesus' work and the power of his resurrection becomes an ongoing, regular subject that empowers us for all of life. That's what a church is. We are people who are always making more of Christ's perfect life than the imperfect life of the Christian. We're always making you more focused on God's perfect love for you than your imperfect love for God. Why? Because that's what we need, beloved. The last thing we need is to become the heroes of our stories with Jesus as some sort of helper to boost our story. So what is a church? We are Jesus-centered not us-centered. And so we're always unlocking the past of Jesus in order to live in the present. So the key forward is backward, not forward. The key forward is forward. Make sense? So here's another thing that's super important about what the church is. We are grace-defined, not grace-dismissive. We're grace-defined, not grace-dismissive. Look what it says. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great, what was on them? Great grace. It was on all of them. But look what it says afterwards. Right after that. Before it talks about being one and united. And then it says, in verse 34, there was not a needy person among them because they all who loaned lands and, and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. So in the beginning of this account... The church is being really loving. In the end of this account, the church is being really loving. And how does, how does Luke summarize what's going on? Great grace was on all of them. So the, let me give you, let me give you a, a picture that may be helpful of what, of what Luke is doing to show us what a church is. So there's two stories in Miami. Well, there's many stories, but let me just pick two. One story is a Cuban. How many, how many people here are Cubans or descendants of Cubans? Okay, there's a lot of us. So y'all know the Cuban story that your parents tell, right? I came here with nothing, and I worked, and I earned a living, and I'm not like those people that come in here and just take, 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 we earned, right? That's a Cuban story. It's a great story, but that's not our story. Our story is this one. You know the kids in Pinecrest? Pinecrest is the wealthiest area. Those kids are born in their house, and everything they have is because they were born in someone else's house. That's us. That's us. We see everything in our life. We see holiness. We see humility. We see growth. We see love. And, and, and people, what is this about? Grace. Unmotivated unprovoked, not because of us at all, grace. Everything in the church is understood and defined by God's one way, not because of us, grace. A church is on a pe- bunch of people who the logic for why they are who they are is that they willed it and they did it. That's not the church. 
That's a cult. If we take it to its utmost end. A church is a place where people look at us and they ask questions and they want to answer and we say grace upon grace upon grace upon grace is what this is about. It has nothing to do with us. We were just born into dad's house. And because dad brought us into his house, he has showered us with gift upon gift because he's kind. That is a church. We are defined and moved by grace. We emphasize grace. We herald grace. We don't just chip on it sometimes. We don't diminish it. I love Acts because it gives me clarity in my sanity because people, you're nuts. You can't talk like that in Miami. You can't say grace, grace in Miami. It's so wretched. Everyone's going to be more wretched. And yet we see holiness, godliness, and sacrifice. Why? Great grace was the power. You know why we're so worldly? Because there's not enough grace. Grace is not the power. Self-help to do this is the power. And you know what that does to you? It makes you Ananias and Sapphira. People that are living their Christian life in the strength of themselves. Pretending on the outside because there's not grace going deep into the root of your soul and making you say yes to God by grace. So, we are those who are grace-defined, not grace-dismissive. Two more points. Two more points. I'm like, oh, I've only been going for 15 minutes, but it doesn't really count. Because I, I didn't start it in the beginning. So, There is power in the proclamation, not prescribing things. There's power in the proclamation, not prescribing. I'm building on the last point a little bit further. Look what it says. And the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And grace, great, was, grace, great grace was on them. For there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands and houses sold them. So all this stuff about being, dude, this dude sold his house for the church. Did you hear what he said? He sold his house for the church. Rich dude. So I got a house in Pinecrest. I'm going to sell it so I can meet Christian needs. But where did that for come from? Where, where, where does that for explanation of all these radical acts of gra- gratitude come from? The power of the resurrection was being proclaimed. So notice what's, there's no commands in here to give your house for other Christians. No commands. This It's what the power of grace does. You command yourself. So notice, it doesn't say, you know what happened here? This is what happened here. This is why these folks were given. There was a building campaign. And because there was a building campaign, man, people just started being really generous. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say there was a teaching series on generosity. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say, you know what happened? There was a series on, are you truly a Christian? If you're really truly a Christian, you would be sacrificial. So if you're not being sacrificial, examine yourself. Does it say what that's to happen? Is that what happened? Does it say that there was a teaching, a holiness series, and, and how, you know, you know? No, it says 
that these people were being wrecked by the resurrection. They were being flooded with the power of God's grace for sinners. And that was what empowered them and moved them to live reckless Christian lives that were holy. Think about that, beloved. It was the power of how greatly and deeply and just infinitely and not because of Leah making up words. Because God's love was so wide and so high and so deep for wretched sinners. When that was touching sinners, it was compelling them to live different. And you know why we don't live different? Because grace, resurrection, gospel is not what's gripping our hearts. But, beloved, do not get it twisted. The church is saying, God is saying that a church is a place where the power to transform people is in faith in God's one-way love and promises in Christ. And that is what drives Christian behavior. The power is in the proclamation of grace, not in the prescription of things, though we do see prescriptions. Here's the last thing I'll say about what is going on here. And that is, there was, we see here is that people was over things and things for people. Let me say that again. People over things and things for people. For there was not an needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them. They brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed for each person's basic needs. Joseph, a Levite, a a Cypriot by birth, one of the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So a church is is, is a group of people who are more in love with people and less impressed with things, and so they use things for people. Now, let me, if, 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 you know what, let me get into a conversation with you guys, church. You know, we think the, you know what we think sin is, typically? And all these things are sin, but this is kind of like where we get stuff. You know what sin is? Sin is like, you know, being sexually promiscuous, right? That's sin. Or sin is, you know, that guy selling drugs on the corner or someone using drugs on the corner, right? That, that's sin, right? Or sin is someone who robs a bank, you know, breaks into a house, right? That's how we think. But what is being told is good here. What's being told is good here is that these people were so in love by, with being loved by God in Christ that they love people more than their stuff, which means that bad is not just what I just mentioned, but bad is you loving things more than people. That's what the New Testament is saying is evil. And what is good is you loving people more than things because you're loved by Christ. So let me unpack that a little bit. What is, what is sin? It's you loving the way your house is more than the people that are in that house or come into that house. Sin is you loving how much money you have in your bank account more than the people in your life that you can use your money to love with. Sin and depravity is you being more concerned with square footage than image bearers who bear the image of God and your brother and sister in Christ. Sin is you being more concerned with three-day vacations than using your resources to love the people of God and do the mission of God. Now, why does the gospel change that? 
we, well, see, well, let's, say, let's, let's talk about why do we have that problem. You know why we have that problem? Because we think that we matter because we have stuff. It's not so much the stuff that matters, but it's like, <laughs> it's like well, I, I, if that person has that and I don't have that, then I need to get that, you know. And so we, bro, we, you know what I noticed on, on, on Facebook? We compete with each other. Oh, you went to Legoland? I went to Disney and Universal. <laughs> you had a party with like six people? We had a party. We don't say that, but we're competing. Deep down inside, we know we're competing. Which is why when we see other people's possessions and what they have, we, 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 we like got that haterade up in there, you know? And we don't, we don't, we won't confess it. But beloved, you know what the gospel has changed? What's, what makes us matter? What makes us secure? It's not what we have, but the, Jesus has bought us. He has purchased us and we matter not because we own stuff, but because the Father owns us. He's, we are his treasure. And because we're treasured by God in Christ, we have all the Father's love gifts, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, adoption in God's Trinitarian family, resurrection, the Spirit of God. We are so rich as Christians. So you know what happens when we get wrecked by that? My stuff can be used for people. I don't have to be defined by things. I can be defined by the gospel and I can use my things to love people as opposed to use people for things. This is why the teaching in the church that God is there to empower you to be more prosperous in life and that the purpose is so problematic because we see here what's so great about the church? They don't care about their stuff. What's going on here? What's a church? We're so wrecked by the power of God's grace. We're so loved by God. We're so owned by him. We don't care about this stuff. I will use it for the glory of God. That's a church. Not a bunch of people using Jesus to add things to themselves to be comfortable. Now, this is not talking about being poor for Jesus. This is talking about being defined by Jesus in what you have. So this is what a church is. We are individual. We're not individuals. We're unified. We're not just familiar. We're a family. We emphasize that the power of the, God, of, of the church is in the preeminence of the power of preaching. Preaching about what? Preaching about Jesus and what he did, not about us and what we do. That's the emphasis. We emphasize and we're defined by grace. That's what a church is. And we are moved by the power of gospel Gospel announcements, gospel good news, that's what moves us to live our lives. And lastly, we've been so, so defined, so secure in Christ that we love people more than things. And we don't use people for things, but we use things for people. So I'm going to do something different in conclusion. Normally what I do in conclusion, I do application, some further application, and then I go to the table. But I just want to combine application and the table. But let me give some brief instructions um, about the table. So every week we do this because we feel like it's very, for number one, in the very beginning of Acts, it says they, as, as often as they gathered, they did proclamation, Lord's table, and prayer. Um, but also, uh, 
beyond that, we, we, we think that we always need to be reminded of God's grace through the tangible signs of God's grace. So we do this every week. You come up after I pray, and you take bread, and you dip it in one of two cups. We ha- the cups are marked still, correct? We have one cup that has wine. We have one cup that has grape juice. If you're a grape juicer, don't judge the wine dipper. If you're a wine dipper, don't judge the grape juice. We, we have both, Okay. Uh, we felt like when Jesus said that wine was a sign of the new covenant, there was something purposeful. Um, and we believe that he was more concerned with people than we are. So we use it, but we understand that there's a conscious issue and there's differences, and we respect both. Um, so here's what I want to do. I want to apply this message, and I want to connect this message to what we're doing here in the table. You ready? Here's the first thing I would say. We are a people, beloved, Who is dividing walls, the the, the dividing wall between us and God was abolished because Jesus' body was broken for our sins and his blood was spilled. And because Jesus' body and blood pictured here just crushed the wall of separation, there's no walls between you and God. You know, people say, like, I, you know, people say all these things, like, I, I feel like God's distant. That's just how you feel. But if you're in Christ, God is not distant. The wall was shattered. And because that wall was shattered, guess what? All the walls that we create around us was shattered. So as you, as you take this table, I want you to realize that your life is about finding common ground in the body and blood of Christ's grace, not finding distinctions to separate yourself from people. This is what Christianity is. What are we? We are people who drink and eat and celebrate what? That all the walls have fallen. Why? Because Christ was broken. Second thing. We are a people that are so deeply loved by a God. You know why, it's, why it's, this is pictured as, as, as a table? Why the Lord has to celebrate his grace like a table? Because this is a dad and kids thing. This is a family. And so, beloved, the gospel is not the good news that God has just forgiven your sins. And now you're going to go to heaven someday. The gospel, listen, listen to me, listen to me. The gospel is the good news that God has rescued you through Jesus being broken and blood spilled for your unrighteous law breaking so he can bring you to his table and love you as dad. And so all of us are sitting at dad's table where dad provides, dad covers, dad gives a bunch of kids who are messy and need dad's provisions. So you know what that does to us? Makes us family. The gospel makes us family with God and family with each other. So we should be living in our dad's provisions so that we could be so assured in dad's love that other of dad's kids become closer objects to know as opposed to threats that we should kind of be familiar with and not know. Amen? If we are a people who emphasize the power of preaching then what God is saying, I love what 1 Corinthians um, says about the Lord's table. It says, as often as you drink this bread, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, what does that mean? That means that what's most important in this church, the power that's preeminent and emphasized in this church is what Jesus declares to you over his body and broken, his spilt blood and body, not what you see in yourself, not what you feel in yourself, not what you've experienced in yourself. This church is most defined 
most moved by what Jesus declares about himself in this table, not yourself. That is so important. Our biggest problem as people is that we define ourselves by who we are and what we have and what we don't have. But yet, in the church, we are people that emphasize what Jesus has said and says about himself, not what we see in ourselves. That's the power in the church. Fourth way I would connect the message to this table. We are a people that regularly focus on what happened to Jesus in our present. And so it says that the church regularly heard about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now think about it. Why on earth do you think that God gave one symbol to do regularly that is connected to Jesus' body broken for sins and blood spilled? Why do you think he did that? Why is there only one symbol that we regularly repeat, baptisms once? Why is there one symbol that we regularly do in the church that's connected to Jesus' broken body and spilt blood? Why? Because the key to our present is going back to the past over and over and over and over and over. So a church is what? We regularly celebrate, we regularly memorialize, we regularly proclaim the greatness that our present is regularly being invaded and captured and claimed over and over again by Jesus' past. So why is that so important? Because you guys regularly live in the present and you say things like this. Well, you know what? Been abandoned by dad, hated by my kids, you know, have this addiction history, have this broken family history, left by this person, abandoned by this person, addicted to this, strung out on that, you know, and, 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 and that's how we define ourselves, right? And so when we come to this table, you know what God is saying to you, church? That's not who you are. That's not who you are. Go back 2,000 years ago and see the broken body of Jesus. Blood spilled for you. That's who you are. So go back and go back and go back, and all of a sudden your present is changed. The key to our present is going back over and over again to the past. That's what a church is. If we are people that are defined by grace, Beloved, if we are defined by grace, if we are moved by grace, then we come to this table not because we've earned it, not because we have uh, kind of merited it in some way. We come to this table, why? Because God is gracious. Gracious. So you know why you shouldn't come up to this table? You shouldn't come up here if you feel like you deserve to be here. And if you feel like you don't deserve to be at this table, then this table is for you. We are people defined by grace. But let me tell you how this, this is important to flush on the Christian life. I remember one time uh, recently someone was telling me, like, you know what, like, I feel like, some, <laughs> I feel like something bad's going to happen to me right now because so much good is happening to me. Yeah, have you felt that way? Why do you feel that way? Because you live by merits. And if we live by marriage, deep down inside, we know something bad is coming for us. But what did we just learn about the church? We don't live by marriage, we live by grace. It means that everything in our life that's good does not come because we earned it, but it comes because God is gracious to sinners. So we can live in the freedom of grace, knowing that God does everything to his people because of him for them, not them for him. We are a people Defined and moved by grace. 
We learn, we, we, learn, we learn the message that, man, it is the power of Jesus' resurrection proclaiming and that grace being on them that led them to live their lives. So listen, all of you right now are dealing with some kind of sin dysfunction, right? Dysfunction. Correct? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to let you, you, listen, all of us are commanded to obey God's law, not to save us, but to honor God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, glorify God, okay? How are you going to do that? Let's have, a, let's, let's have everyone come up here and say, God, this time I'm really not going to be that guy. This time, right? I'm serious this time. No, you're not. You got hyped up in the moment. What are we going to do? We're going to come here right now and realize that the key to sin being not removed but having freedom from sin, the key to living a holy life is eating and drinking and receiving and trusting and resting in Jesus' sacrificial blood and body for you, sinner. You live your life feeding and resting and receiving Christ. That's how you live your life. Not trying to honor God. Not trying to obey God. You can't do it. You screaming at your kids can't do it. You screaming at yourself can't do it. You threatening each other wives and husbands can't do it. What transforms a church? What is a church we eat, we receive, we rest, and in the grace of God, abiding in Christ, resting in Christ, we live a Christian life. And the reason why we're so worldly or more worldly than we should be is that we're trying too much and not eating enough. Do you know there's pictures of the gospel everywhere? If you don't sleep, what happens? If you don't stop doing something for seven to eight hours, what happens? The key to your life is sitting down and not doing something for eight hours. Isn't that a gospel picture? The key to you living a Christian life is receiving, 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 trusting, trusting, trusting. Here's the last thing I'll say in connecting the sermon to the table. Um, and that is that this table is telling us that Jesus has bought us through Jesus' body being broken for our sins on the cross 2,000 years ago. He bought us by the blood spilt for our sins. And you know what that means, beloved? We have everything we need. Every week we come in here and we're sad because we don't have something, right? I don't have this relationship the way I want. I don't have, you know, I feel like I'm living paycheck to paycheck, right? You know, I don't have the body that I want. I don't have the marriage that I want. I'm single and I don't have the guy that I want. You know, we're always acting like we're beggars who need to get more. And yet, you know what God tells you every week? I've given you everything. I've given you everything so you can have me as your treasure. So you know what? When you come up here, you get to live in the freedom that you've been bought and purchased by God and Christ and have everything that you need. So now you can walk away from this table realizing that you can love people and not stuff. You can live in the freedom of your call, beloved. But only as you receive and rest and redefine yourself in Christ. If you're trying to define yourself by yourself, you're always going to feel like, man, I can't, I can't be generous because if I do that, I lose who I am, right? No, no. The gospel tells us something different. 
So let me pray and invite us up to eat and drink. Celebrate this sermon visibly in Jesus' broken body and blood made visible to us that connects us to the reality of grace. Father, thank you so much that um, we have not only messages that tell us that a church is this and not that um, in Christ, but we also have a meal. We also have a sign. We have something that we can taste and touch. So, Lord, please, please, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, would give your beloved, precious little children the capacity to receive, to enjoy, to rest, be redefined, recalibrated, and powered by your fatherly grace. This table has one requirement that you come here because Christ is worthy. You come here because Christ is enough. You come here because Jesus is broken. You come here because his blood was shed, not anything else. So, Lord, bring your people here to receive, eat, and drink. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconciledchurchmiami.org.